Thank you, Pete. Uh, please do have that uh, second reading open uh, there in front of you, page 884, if you've got a church Bible uh, near you. Well worth having that uh, in front of you as we continue to look at these early chapters of Luke's Gospel together. And uh, the purpose of looking at these chapters together is to see Jesus clearly and to see how precious his ministry is to us, not just when we first believed, uh, but continuing uh, in our lives as followers of the Lord Jesus. Uh, we've seen already in these opening chapters that Jesus' ministry was first and foremost to proclaim Jesus, uh, God's favour to the world, that, to say that era is open and it remains open as we meet here this morning. And what, what's so wonderful about these early chapters is that they show us uh, single days of that favour and it changing individual lives. We'll, we'll see that here in Luke chapter 5. Um, we'll see the difference a day makes uh, in the life of Simon. And this particular day in Jesus' ministry is a day all about fishing. Uh, I'm a terrible fisherman. I love fishing. But uh, if anything, uh, length of time fishing has decreased skill, not increased it. Um, I, I'm the proud uh, owner of a record in my family of catching a seagull twice um, <laughs> off a boat ramp in the south coast. I, I cast the line out and I was sailing through the air and I could see the seagull had spotted the bait and thought that looks great. And so it, it, uh, it sort of soared across, tried to grab the bait but it got caught on the wing. And then I'm slowly, carefully trying to wind this in and all these people are looking at me like what sort of terrible human <laughs> catches a seagull? And uh, a, a few years later, same boat ramp, I assume same seagull, <laughs> same, same result. Um, one of my favorite memories though of fishing was uh, another place that uh, family used to go on holidays, just down the road from it uh, was a sort of abandoned jetty. And so my brother and I would, would go there fishing late of an afternoon and this was supremely lazy fishing. What we would do is we would drop the line in off the edge of the jetty and then the rest of the activity involved snoozing in the sun on the jetty. And on this particular day, at the end of the day when it was time to go home for dinner, I'm winding up the line and there at the end of the line is this fish uh, caught on the hook. Absolutely no effort, no planning, pure grace, uh, my kind of fishing. Uh, but uh, one more fishing story, and this is what this passage has done, is let me tell all my fishing stories. Um, my, one of my favourite movies of all time, it's an obscure movie, is, a, is called A River Runs Through It. I'm pretty sure I'm probably the only person in this room to have seen it. Has anyone else seen it? Fantastic. One at the top, two. Uh, it's a great movie and uh, it's a movie all about trout fishing. And in the early stages of the movie, the main character says this. My father was very sure about certain matters pertaining to the universe. To him, all good things, trout fishing, as well as eternal salvation, came by grace alone. Uh, well, Luke 5, here's the only segue from that. Uh, Luke 5 is all about fish, and it's all about eternal salvation, and it's a day only God's grace can bring about. I uh, hope you got it there in front of you. We're really just going to follow the scene. There's two main players in the scene. There's Jesus and Simon. Uh, they're going to start the day undertaking two very different fishing expeditions, but they're going to end as partners. Uh, have a look at verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. That's how it starts, and we shouldn't be surprised by it starting that way, because as we've seen already in this series, that the ministry of Jesus is first and foremost a preaching ministry. He's come to proclaim God's word. 
uh, a word we're told that's spoken with authority and power. And the reason it has that power is it's God's word that he's speaking. Uh, Jesus speaks this word of God to this crowd. And uh, it's a wonderful picture, isn't it? If you look at those opening verses, Jesus is standing there on the water's edge and the crowd is sort of inching forward as they hear this word. They're sort of hungry to hear the word of God. And I think even in these opening uh, parts of the passage, there's a challenge for us. Uh, we who have just heard, as Pete read it for us, the word of God, and often in churches at the end of the Bible reading, you hear this familiar pattern, this is the word of the Lord, and we say, we need to practice that. Uh, as, as we say that together, we're reminding each other what's happening, that uh, the, the, the God whose word made the heavens and the earth is speaking. He's speaking right now as, as we read his word. I wonder if that was in your heart as it was being read. Were you, like the people in verse 1, were you leaning forward, expectant? This is God speaking. Well, today as we listen to Luke 5, realise who's speaking to you. Jesus is being surrounded by this hungry crowd. You can picture the scene. He's sort of having to back up as they sort of creep forward until you can almost imagine his feet sort of start touching the water. And so verse 2, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen. And again, I love this because it's a very different scene to what we saw in the last couple of weeks. This is the word of God proclaimed in the wild. It's no longer in religious settings like synagogues, as we saw before. Uh, and I suspect we get used to hearing God's word in safe zones, religious zones, uh, places like this, churches and small groups. But here is the word of God spoken in, if you like, the real world. Uh, here is a word, not just with power in church buildings, but power in office blocks and classrooms and kitchens and hospital wards. It has power and authority in all these places. And so Luke uh, fills in the details for us in verse 2. You've got this pressing crowd. We're told there's two boats and there's fishermen off on the side of the scene. They're busy. They're washing the nets, the end of a night's work. But amongst all of this activity, Jesus has his heart set on one person, a worker, a fisherman, Simon. And so, verse 3, Jesus gets into Simon's boat. You can imagine Simon off washing his nets on the side, thinking, what on earth is he doing? Uh, Jesus is fishing. That's what he's doing, but he's fishing for Simon. Now, if you've been here in recent weeks, you'll realise that this isn't the first interaction between Simon and Jesus. In fact, uh, there's a very real chance that Simon was one of those who was in the synagogue as Jesus announced the year of the Lord's favour. And it was Simon's house that Jesus went back to for a meal as he healed Simon's mother-in-law. And Simon would have seen him heal all the people who crowded to the door, uh, desperate for healing that same day. He, he's seen and heard amazing things, uh, but here he seems to be remaining at a distance from Jesus. Jesus is teaching, but Simon's focused on his work, washing the nets. And so Jesus asked Simon and now to really step into the scene. He asked him to put out a little from shore. The crowd has sort of got to the edge of the water, so they need to move the pulpit out a few metres into the water. And so Simon agrees and he hops in the boat and they push out a little, just a little. And to sort of push the fishing metaphor a little bit, here's the first nibble of discipleship. <laughs> I reckon at this stage, Simon has no idea what's, what's going to happen to him, but he's sitting there in this gospel-bearing boat with the gospel speaker, Jesus, and he's not going to touch shore again before his life is completely changed. 
And I don't know about you, if, uh, as a follower of Jesus, or if you're someone still working out uh, what it would mean to follow Jesus and trust him, but I suspect for many of us, we know this experience of the sort of the slow steps towards faith. Uh, I remember very clearly in year seven, starting to go to the local youth group, and we, we'd gone on a, a day trip um, in one of the holidays. Uh, we'd gone abseiling, and, and at the end of the day, we're, we're driving back in this four-wheel drive, and I'm in, like, if you like, the second row of seats in this car, and in the row in front of me is a couple of the youth and, and one of the leaders, and they're chatting about Christian things. They're chatting about Jesus, and uh, Captain Introvert here is just sort of eavesdropping in on their conversation, listening in. But at this point, the words mean nothing to me, but they're, they're starting to seep into my consciousness, words that uh, in time would become the very centre of my life. That's the picture here of Simon. Jesus has finished with the crowd for now, but with, not with Simon, and so they're bobbing up and down in the boat as the crowd begins to disperse. Simon's probably thinking, great, now I can get back to the real job of finishing washing the nets and all of that. And again, I think that's how we often feel about God's word. Uh, listen to the word of God for an hour or so on a Sunday, an hour if we're lucky. But after the service is over, we can get back to real life. But Jesus isn't fishing for an hour and 15 of Simon's time. He's going for everything. Verse 4, do you see what he says to Simon? Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now things for Simon have got a lot more serious and a lot more weird. Uh, this is the worst time to fish and the worst place. You can almost imagine him saying to Jesus, and he sort of says this in verse 5, sorry, Jesus, I, I must have misheard you. I, I thought I heard you say, let's go out fishing in the middle of the day, but I couldn't have heard you say that because no one does that. Jesus is overstepping the mark here, it seems. In this boat, on this lake, Simon is the boss. He knows what he's doing. But here is the real Jesus, not the religious safe zone Jesus that we invent. The real Jesus actually intrudes in the privacy of our everyday lives. He comes to impact everything, uh, our thought life. He comes to sit at our meal tables, to join in our relationships, our, our workplaces. He comes into the personal realm of everything. And Simon is squirming as this happens. You're a teacher, Jesus. I'm a fisherman. That's how this works. You're a teacher, Jesus. I'm a doctor. I'm a businessman. I'm a nurse. Uh, what do you know about what I do? Your thing, Jesus, is Sunday services and small groups and songs of praise. I don't need your handy tips in my workplace. But he's about to find out that Jesus is well qualified. He is Lord of all, even a fish, even a fisherman. Simon has been told by this carpenter how to fish. He's been invited to essentially undertake a, a, a project that looks like it's got failure written all over it. And yet he grabs, we're told, the newly cleaned nets, and you can imagine the frustration of that, and they push out into the deep. Why does he do it? Is it to sort of humour Jesus? Jesus wants to fish, that's a bit weird, but let's be nice to Jesus, let's go fish. No. It's because Jesus, the one who speaks this word of authority, has told him to do it. Do you see it there in verse 5? Because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, I love that. Let that hang in the air for a minute. Because of your word, I will do it. Here's what discipleship of the Lord Jesus actually looks like. Christian discipleship is at its heart taking Jesus Christ at his word. Because it's your word, Jesus, I'll do it. 
All Simon had to go on was the word of Christ. But I want to suggest to you that's all we have to go on. I mean, consider the ground of your faith as a Christian. On what ground does your sure hope of heaven rest? Isn't it the word of Christ promising it to you? On what ground does your forgiveness rest? Again, isn't it the word of Christ promising that? So here's the challenge. Are we prepared in the parts of our lives where we are boss, where we feel we are well equipped and do not need anybody else's handy tips? Are we prepared to push out into the deep with him? Or are we scared to do that? Either because we doubt he knows better than us or because we fear where deep water discipleship may lead. Let me ask you this. Are you in over your head with Jesus or are you splashing about on the shoreline? Are Sunday gatherings a chance to paddle around on the shore before heading back to real life where the word of Christ has no say? Or are you prepared to say to Jesus at work, in your home, in your family, with your finances, because it's your word, I will do it. Verse 5, Jesus is fishing for Simon and here's a big nibble. Simon, we're told, pulls on the oars and the boat surges out into the deep and the nets are lowered, it's time to fish, and do you see it? When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. I mean, it's an amazing scene. You imagine the dispersing crowd that were sniggering as they watched the supposed expert fisherman Simon go out in the middle of the day, and they're thinking, what's the clown doing? And, and now those sniggers turn to gasps. This is the catch of the lifetime, nets bursting, boats sinking. They had to get another boat over just to, to fill it up too. And Simon sits back on this sinking boat and laden with fish, and he looks at Jesus, we're told in verse 8, and he fell to his knees, Jesus' knees, and he said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Here's the moment where everything changes for Simon. Uh, even his name, do you notice that there? It started with a reluctant agreement to, to bob up and down in the boat with Jesus. And now he's sitting in this sinking boat and he finally sees Jesus clearly. This Jesus, this teacher, the one in the boat with him, the, the one who spoke and the fish leapt into the nets. He's, here's the very glory of God unveiled in front of him. Here's the supremacy of God over his creation unveiled. The, the sovereignty of God to, to do as he chooses. All revealed in this man, Jesus. He'd seen what Jesus had done in Capernaum, but somehow that hadn't demolished his self-assuredness, but now that's all crashing down. He sees Jesus for who he is. He's not just his teacher. Here is his God and King. Jesus, the true King, has walked into Simon's workplace, Simon's fiefdom, where Simon sits on his self-made throne, and Jesus has said, I think you'll find that's my seat. Jesus has put his finger on the very purpose of Simon's life, fishing, and said, Simon, I'm Lord over that as well. Simon's life is turned upside down in this moment. He sees Jesus for who he is. He falls at Jesus' knee and he says, go away from me, I'm a sinful man. Now that sounds like a dramatic response, doesn't it? But it is actually what seeing Jesus clearly looks like when you see that he is your king and that he is your judge. It's the same picture we saw in Isaiah in our first reading. As Isaiah sees the glory of God, he says, woe to me, I am undone. I am stuffed, I'm ruined. That's Peter here. He bends the knee, not before his teacher, but before his God, the Holy One, who's found him out completely, and he has no excuse. And so he says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. 
before this is a story of conversion, it's actually a story of conviction, isn't it? And here's actually where discipleship before Jesus begins. It begins with humble and fearful repentance. I'm without excuse before you. But see what happens next. Verse 10. Here's the heart of our gospel as Christians. Here's our sacred ground. You see Jesus' response. Peter says, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus, our Lord and judge, his response, don't be afraid. Isn't that brilliant? Uh, He's not saying don't be afraid in the sense of, Peter, it's all fine. You're good. You're great. You be you. It's all fine. No. No. In fact, in many ways, as we'll see, uh, don't be afraid here, he's acknowledging that Simon Peter's response is entirely appropriate. Here's the wonder fear. Jesus will say later in the gospel, I tell you, says Jesus, don't fear the one who can kill the body, fear the one who can raise it up again and judge it forever. That's who to fear. Fear the one, he'll say in another parable about fishing later in this uh, gospel, the parable of the fishing nets. Fear the one who in the last judgment will scoop up every man, man and woman and will divide them by those who have acknowledged him and those who haven't. Fear him, says Jesus. I am he, says Jesus. I made you. I'm Lord of the fish. By my voice they came into existence and leapt into your net. I'm the one who raised your mother-in-law. I'm the one who was there when you were born, and I will be there when you breathe your last as your judge. Yes, Simon, but hear this. I am the one appointed to speak good news. I am the one who has come for sinners to announce favour. So don't be afraid. You are a sinner, exposed completely, but you've no need to run, and I'm not going anywhere. I am the very place you need to be as a sinner. Don't be afraid. I have come to bring forgiveness. And to do that, he declares the words that again are at the heart of our gospel, the words that follow on from don't be afraid. You see them there, verse 10? From now on. (laughs) That's the heart of our gospel. Our God is a God of new starts, a God who can call things that are not like sinners forgiven. (laughs) And all because of his mighty death and resurrection. Uh, Christianity at its heart is a story of from now ons. Our lives as disciples are stories of new pages, fresh starts, second chances, and third and fourth and so on. All because of the year of the Lord's favour. But more than that, our lives as disciples, you see this in verse 10 and 11, our stories are from now on and that from now on he's Lord of every aspect of our lives. Not just Sundays. But the details, my thoughts, my meal table, my marriage, my work, my holidays, my hobbies, all are his domain. And in all of it, he says, don't be afraid, I'm king. And finally, and you see this in verse 11, our lives are stories of from now on in that now we have a new purpose to live by. Because of the year of the Lord's favour, from now on in whatever sphere we live and work, If you have come to him as a bankrupt sinner, you have a new purpose. From now, you fish for people. Jesus began uh, this uh, passage fishing for Simon. He caught him by grace. And now Simon is caught up in that same great purpose of announcing favour to a broken world. And now they fish together. I was thinking about that during the week and I was reminded of... uh, that youth group uh, I started at in year seven. And I remember the very first time uh, walking up the stairs of the the old hall that it was in. And uh, utterly reluctantly, I have to say, at the behest of my mother, um, and uh, walking up the stairs. And there at the top of the stairs is one of the leaders. And he's got this huge grin. And he welcomes me and invites me in. 
over the next six years, the things I heard about the Lord Jesus turned my life upside down, upside down. Uh, and I remember six years later or seven years later, standing on those same stairs, having the privilege of welcoming other uh, youth, uh, the next generation into that same hall to have that same life-changing experience. That's what we're about as a church. And we're about that because of this favour that God shows us. You want to see the picture of it? Let's finish with this. Verse 11. Simon Peter's response is discipleship unfurled for us. Wholehearted commitment to Jesus. So they pulled up their boats. They left everything and they followed him. Here's how one Christian writer describes this scene. Jesus takes the paralyzing fear out of Simon's humble confession and leaves in its place a lion-hearted meekness and a bold brokenness. Peter, James, and John respond with hearts overflowing with the value of knowing and being with Jesus. Boats to land, their old life now shipwrecked. They leave everything, including the catch of the century. They leave it all behind, all they once held dear and built their life upon. From now on, I'm with him, they say. They follow, it's time to go fishing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your favour to us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that it is not just a story of uh, freedom from fear because of your forgiveness. It's a story of purpose, a story of from now on. And so we pray, Father, that you would line up our hearts with your heart. You would set our hearts to be those who fish for people alongside your son. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.